That's Ayabonga Tabe all the way in India. What we're going to do now, it's 7.57. Uh, we're going to be looking at the former president's case. Uh, we do know that former president Jacob Zuma returned to the Pedermaritzburg High Court today seeking permanent stay of prosecution. Now, he is currently facing 16 charges that include fraud, corruption, as well as racketeering. These charges relate to 783 payments that he allegedly received as a bribe to protect Talis from an investigation into the controversial multi-billion rand arms deal. Now, the alleged bribe was facilitated by Shabir Sheikh, his former financial advisor. Now, to understand this a whole lot more, we are joined on the line by independent legal expert Pepelani Adube. A very good evening to you. Good evening, Tammy, and thank you for having me. No, thank you for joining us. Now, perhaps let's get straight into terminology here, Pepelani. When we talk about permanent stay of prosecution, what exactly is that? What does that mean? The permanent stay of, 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 of prosecution essentially means that the National Prosecuting Authority withdraws the decision to, to institute criminal proceedings against an individual. But of course, it's important to remember that um, it's, it's not necessary that, that should circumstances change or should the NPA come across um, evidence that they would be convinced that they would be able to get a conviction, that they can still reinstitute those charges. But in the time being, um, it would mean that if the court then grants this, um, this day of prosecution, it simply means that the trial doesn't go ahead. So are you saying that even if the court does grant the permanent stay of prosecution, should the NPA find further evidence five, six, ten years down the line that they can once again reinstate these charges? Well, in terms of the Criminal Procedure Act, that would be a possibility. But of course, if if one considers the practical um, aspects of it, it would be highly unlikely that once the permanent stay of prosecution is granted, that the NPA would be in a position to to, to, to reopen a trial in in, in that instance. Because, I mean, first of all, in terms of um, just looking at the general practice within South African courts, it's very rare for the courts to grant a permanent stay of execution. And second, and with the passage of time, etc., it, um, it, it only makes it more difficult for the NPA to then come back again before a court and uh, try and convince a judge that they would come to a different conclusion. So in that sense, um, once a permanent stay or court again. Now let's look at the reasons why the former president would seek this route and would you say that he is justified? Well, I think bearing in mind that this is a matter that that has been, you know, within the public arena since 2007 and that this is a matter which has dragged on before the courts, one would argue that the president, the former president does have sufficient grounds to argue that he should be granted a, a stay of process, of, 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 simply saying that this case has dragged on for all these years. We need to ask ourselves who exactly is, who is responsible for the delay and arguably, if you consider the number of times in which the former president's legal representatives have 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 essentially um, had a Stalingrad tactic before the courts, where it's essentially arguing legal point and technical point after technical point, and um, it would appear as if there was a deliberate strategy by the former president's legal representative to try and gain some kind of advantage in just with um, ensuring that the matter became um, drawn out. So I think if we consider the president's 
own, or rather the former president's own conduct and his own behavior in this regard, it might be very difficult to convince a court that he has a compelling argument to make. Let's look at it this way. He has completely changed his legal team. So one could argue on the grounds that he was taking legal advice from his previous representatives and that is not something that he himself is liable for. Is this an argument that he could pose to the courts? Well, it would be very difficult to argument to make before the courts because um, there really hasn't been an instance in which he has um, uh, or, or he has publicly disagreed with his legal representatives. So, for all intents and purposes, it could be concluded that um, he was act, or rather that he accepted the legal advice that he received from his legal representatives. And on the other hand, we need to bear in mind that there's been a couple of judgments where the courts have frowned upon that sort of behavior. You know, the fact that in, when he tried to appeal the state uh, the capture report that was handed down by the former public protector, Tuli Magansela, where the um, Houting High Court sitting in Pretoria came down on this Stalingrad tactic and, and actually had a personal cost order against him for basically um, trying to usurp the authority of the courts and, and essentially just trying to seek that kind of advantage from the courts. And I think also if we consider the fact that um, the courts have also barred the state from um, carrying on with uh, paying for his legal costs. So I think in that sense, it's quite apparent these um, rather unorthodox um, methods that the former president's legal representatives representatives have been um, using in order to try and get him off the hook. Now, another argument uh, that the former president's legal counsel Omoze Sikakane brought up to the court today is he argued that the former president should have been tried with Shabir Sheikh, uh, who was his his co-accused, and that in essence, him not being tried along with Shabir Sheikh uh, was an injustice to him and the president being tried then in his absence. What what do you make of that? Is, Is there any merit to that argument? Well, it's a rather convoluted argument, especially if we consider what the Supreme Court of Appeal said in the Spike's case. Essentially, the Supreme Court of Appeal did try and um, counter that argument to some extent by pointing out that um, even if the legal representatives talked about political interference, but that on its own wasn't enough to, um, to, to cast any aspersions on the decision to um, institute uh, charges against uh, the, the former president, Zuma, because ultimately you would have his day in court and he would be able to, um, to, to, to give his side of the story. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's a rather difficult argument to make. And I think at this stage, it would be very difficult to convince the courts to come to a different conclusion. I don't know if you got to listen to the former president addressing his supporters outside uh, the Peter Marisburg court today, but he did touch on the statement of why Shabir Sheikh was was tried and he was not. Um, And basically the argument that he put out to his supporters was that the state wanted to see if um, the the case had any merits, if uh, Shabir Sheikh would actually indeed go to prison, and they would use that almost as some sort of a litmus test to see if indeed they can then go and prosecute him. What do you make of that? That argument. 
Well, I think that on its own is indeed a kind of admission by the former president that he certainly does have a case to answer because we need to bear in mind that, um, and I think it, it was a decision which was later on um, overturned, but that um, the remarks of the then judge had been basically that there was a genuinely corrupt relationship between the former president and his financial advisor. So it stands to reason that if his financial advisor was found guilty of these same charges, then it stands to reason that uh, the former president, too, would probably uh, suffer the same fate as his financial advisor. So I think in that sense, it does lend credence to the case that the NPA is trying to bring to the, the, the courts, the case around uh, the former president's culpability in this particular issue. And I think... If you could just take us through the various aspects of this trial. One aspect is the political interference. And the other aspect is whether or not you know, the president is guilty of these various charges. Could there be a possibility where the political weight and the political nuance and stance of this particular case could outweigh the, the, the real merits of the case and whether or not he actually did it? Because is that not the question whether you did it or not? Well, ultimately, that is the crisp legal question. Just how, just um, the, the, the former president's culpability in in, in 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 this matter. But of course, as you rightfully point out, this was a, a matter which, from the beginning, was uh, mired in all of these accusations of political interference. And you know, we saw this uh, the spice the tapes uh, decision, you know, make its way through various courts, and it became quite apparent that even for the then. Uh, head of the NPA, Bulelani Nuka, you know, there had been some considerations of the politics as to when to charge former the president, Jacob Zuma, you know, before or after the ANC elective conference. So in that sense, I think the very nature of the case is that it's mired in all of these allegations of political interference. But of course, I think bearing in mind that I think um, at the moment there is uh, just a sense of renewal within the National Prosecuting Authority. And I think at the moment, the National Prosecuting Authority has all the more reason to convince the South African public that, you know, with the appointment of a new head and with the removal of certain individuals such as Nungo Wajiva and Lawrence Mukheri, who were found in terms of the Mohoro Commission to have been acting, um, well, to, to have failed to act independently. So I think in that regard, there's a new sense of renewal within the NPA. So I think that on its own would give the NPA that impetus to rise above the politics of the day and to treat the former president, uh, you know, in a manner in which which the Constitution um, describes, you know, namely that everyone is equal for the law. Now, the, the, the former president's legal team also argued that the state's approach has been one of mob justice uh, because it wanted to pursue him by any means necessary, even if it was unconstitutional. And what, what were they trying to demonstrate by using that argument? Well, I mean, it, and I think it, it really goes back to the crux of the matter, which is that, you know, this is a, a matter which, you know, from its inception was a matter which was mired in. But I think we need to um, consider the facts on hand, which is the fact that 
the former president's legal representatives were actually allowed to make representations before the former head of the NPA, Sean Abrams. And in terms of these representations, they were allowed to give both factual and legal arguments as to whether the NPA should go ahead with um, either reinstating the charges or taking the or the or the head of the NPA exercising his discretion not to reinstitute those charges. I think in that sense, um, the NPA has extended, you know, a certain grace towards the former president. And in that sense, I think it would be very difficult for the former president to convince the nation that he has, that he is indeed a victim of mob justice. Because I think the NPA in this regard, and I think the latest developments in that case would suggest that the NPA is very much in line or rather the conduct and the decisions that have been taken by the NPA are in line with what the Constitution demands that um, awaiting trial uh, individuals should be treated. Now, the case is going to continue uh, throughout the course of this week, barring, I think, one day. But what would the judges be looking for in making their ruling? Well, essentially, the judges need to determine whether the delay in the prosecution has had a detrimental effect on the former president's right to a fair trial. So, for example, they would need to consider, you know, the evidence that's still available, and they just need to consider the conduct of the NPA in this regard, whether the con- whether the NPA has uh, treated him fairly, whether the NPA has adhered to the demands of the um, or, or, of the Criminal Procedure Act. But of course, on the other hand, we also need to consider the former president's conduct in this regard. You know, the fact that in quite a few instances, it's arguable, you know, the extent to which he himself is directly responsible for the delays in the uh, in, 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 in the uh, prosecution. But that said, I'm not sure that it's necessarily a, a simple matter because there are convincing arguments on both sides. But of course, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's very rare for courts to grant the application that the former president is seeking. So I'm sure the former president does have an uphill task in terms of convincing the Guadalajara High Court to grant him that uh, particular application. Mm, Thank you so much for your insights uh, this evening. And, And I'm sure, apart from the fact that politics played a factor, it looks like time and the passage of time and, and, and the corruption of the evidence is perhaps the main argument that uh, the former president's attorneys are going to be taking here. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just bearing in mind the passage of time and, you know, the witnesses' memories, etc. But of course, going back to the fact that these are the sort of facts that the former head of the NPA, Sean Abrams, would have considered with regard to him taking the decision to go ahead with the prosecution. So I'm sure the NPA has weighed the possibilities and the NPA has decided that with the available evidence and with the witnesses that they've uh, made contact with, it would be possible to create a strong enough case to secure a conviction. Pepelani Dube, thank you so much uh, for your time this evening. Thank you for having me. All right, then. That's an independent legal expert, Pepelani Dube, on the case that former President uh, Jacob Zuma is is currently um, involved in.
his group and his uh, attorneys have made an application for a permanent stay of prosecution. But I wonder what you make of this. Is justice delayed, justice denied? Uh, what are your thoughts? Give us a call on 089-110-3377. That's 089-110-3377. Or you could send us an SMS. Uh, the number is 48439. And SMSs are charged at 150. You could also tweet us at Metro FM SA. Do you think it is just for the president to be let off the hook, so to speak, because time has passed and um, perhaps there were some political machinations behind the timing of this particular case being brought forward. Should he be allowed to walk off uh, scot-free because of the situations and because of the, the points that have been put forward by his legal attorneys? 89 is the number to dial.